Everyone who considers Christianity brings heartfelt questions and intellectual objections born out of real-life experiences. They're looking for answers, but even more, they're looking for a safe place to ask their questions. Join me as I meet with a group of people who don't believe in the Christian faith to discuss six of the most common objections to Christianity. Welcome to The Reason for God. Sound okay? You guys hear it okay? Welcome to The Reason for God. I'm Tim Keller, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, and you wouldn't be here unless there were uh, uh, plenty of questions, maybe objections that you have that make Christianity for you right now untenable. And, uh, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the Bible, also had lots of questions. They weren't the same as ours or yours, but they were very formidable. For example, he was a devout Jew, studied the Old Testament Bible all his life. Here's the Christianity means that half the Old Testament's obsolete, all the stuff about uh, sacrifices and things and ceremonies. And so he says, Christianity can't be true. So he had very, very big objections, yet he became a Christian. So what happened to his questions that he was able to do that? Uh, like Paul, we today have all kinds of questions. People have lots of questions about the Bible, and that's what we're talking about tonight. In fact, this is the question we're going to be discussing. Many people say that the Bible's filled with good things, but they say, they ask, isn't the Bible a myth? Hasn't science disproved Christianity? Uh, many people say that though there's many good things in the Bible, you can't treat it as authoritative. Uh, because in some cases it's just mistaken, it's either scientifically inaccurate or historically unreliable or culturally regressive. And yet Christianity says you have to believe the Bible, you have to uh, not only believe it, but you have to trust it and take it into you and into your heart and it changes you. So that's a, quite a big difference between what most people think about the Bible and what Christianity says about the Bible. So the question is, is that possible? Let me just ask you, to start, uh, how do you feel about the Bible? What do you think about the Bible? I'm not sure whether people believe in the Bible through rational scholarship or study. Um, for instance, you know, I'm Korean. I grew up going to church. Most Koreans I know grow up going to church, and I feel like a lot of times their belief in the Bible and in Christianity arrives from that cultural pressure. It's unclear to me whether they've really thought it through. I'm Japanese-American. Uh, it's probably, a, uh, I think half the immigrants of Japanese-American ancestry or Japanese ancestry in the U.S. are either Methodist or Buddhist. Uh, but I would say probably 80 to 90 percent of them actually go attend those churches or temples for social reasons, which is a big right. reason. I mean, I actually went to Methodist I, it's probably a lot of Presbyterian, yeah, I, I don't know what, I went to a whole slew of Christian churches, I remember sticking pictures of Jesus on stuff. And then my dad shifted me actually, or all of us, to a Buddhist temple toward high school, at late, unless you, because he was actually not a non-believer, he was not Christian, he was actually anti-Christian, and he wanted us to think about our spouses coming from the Buddhist religion. Um, but uh, it was just social, it's a social thing. My biggest problem is, is uh, God is an omnipotent being. In fact, the, pro the problem of omnipotence, you know, is really 
tough for me and sort of logically, philosophically, otherwise. That puts him on the hook, doesn't it? Mm. If he's omnipotent. Yeah. Well, it also means he can do anything. He can create, um, he can create a history or a, um, uh, a sort of, he can, he can create fossils, he can create, um, uh, he can create anything, any impression or any, he can do anything, basically. I think it's interesting that there's this opposition between myth and truth. I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. Some myth is maybe something that we all imagine collectively. If I have an idea about something and if we all kind of believe in it, then that's something that maybe could be a, a mythic uh, tale. But I don't think it's necessarily necessary for it to be factually true in order for it to be important. I, I wonder if, that, if that's not, if the question isn't in itself uh, a trap or a dichotomous setup from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that the answers you get are shaped by the questions you ask. I think for me it's, it's, uh, it's really important to be clear on what we mean by particular words because in the end, you know, we're empowering, particularly I think in the Christian religion, we're empowering words to mean so much. For me it says, did, did Jesus come, die on the cross, or did he not? And for me that is very important, that's the most important because it holds all these ramifications with it. If he did do that, then that changes everything, as opposed to if he didn't do that. I think that, you know, to, to be part of Christianity, part of being part of Christianity is to accept the whole Bible as for what it is. And I think that that's something that I can't support. I think the essence of the question is asking, do you think the Bible was true or not? Whereas myth is sort of the way we say false. Um, and the way I feel about that is, I just don't think it's a relevant question. I think the Bible is a, is, is a wonderful text, complex, a lot of things going on. I know some people believe it to be the truth. I myself do not. I have a question for you, though. Like, do you believe in something larger than yourself, then, or larger than our immediate material world? I, I definitely do. I believe that there are a, a whole whatever thing out there that we do not have the capacity to understand. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't necessarily make that into a human being-esque type person, yeah. certainly male you know, uh, bearded or whatever, or whatever manifestation is. I think it's, you know, there's a very sort of scientific way I understand things beyond what I understand. Um, Actually, I'm curious, why do you believe that? I mean, Eunice, why do I believe? Eunice is right that plenty of folks don't believe in anything beyond right. the material. So I'm curious why, you say I know there is something, yeah. and I'm just curious why you know well, or how you know. Uh, well, I don't know I know. I, 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 science brought me, I would believe, to belief in faith. I believe in faith. Now, science. what does that mean? Absolutely. That's interesting. The highest harmonics of science, you realize that science in of itself is a theory. It's yeah. a myth. I mean, it, it was crazy when my, uh, my college teacher in chemistry class told me, by the way, this is not all, this is not real. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, we don't really know molecules or atoms exist. It's all theory. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I actually think science in, in a way you know, I see it also as a religion, and in and of itself should be scrutinized. Emotionally, I'm drawn to Christianity. It, it fulfills voids in my life that are needs or gaps that, it, that I need filled. So in that sense, it does. I think the way I look at the Bible is definitely more scientific. Evolution is very crucial for me. It, it being able to mesh into the Bible properly because I definitely believe in evolution. So if the Bible says evolution cannot it, evolution does not exist, then I feel it loses credibility. So that, that's definitely critical for me to believe. And I, I definitely feel like there's a burden of proof on the Bible to make Christianity true.
Science can't give you meaning in life. It can't tell you right and wrong. It can't tell you what to do with your guilt. So there's plenty of things that the Bible claims to have the answers for that science couldn't give you the answer for. Science is designed only to give us really numbers. I mean, that's primarily what it's designed to do. But if we use the same criteria, science can't experience, can't tell us what love is, just even between people. It can't give us that. Totally agree. Well, I think the, uh, the I don't know what you call it, the dichotomy between uh, science and religion, uh, between uh, myth and reality, or myth and truth, um, I, I don't know, it seems to me that there's a lot of misunderstanding about it on both sides. They're almost like two, two kids in the schoolyard kind of um, accusing each other, you know, basically, or uh, so claiming territory in some sense. And I think, um, for me, science is a methodology, it's a way of exploring reality. It doesn't necessarily um, make assumptions uh, or come to a final conclusion about what is reality and what is not. So, other questions about the Bible uh, and belief in the Bible? I guess one that I have is, uh, there's a lot of miracles that happen in the Bible, but yet, um, past, I mean, I've only been alive for 25 years. I've never seen, like, a miracle along the, uh, what happens in the New, the New Testament. Mm -hmm. I guess the, uh, just two things, two yeah. ideas. One is that, actually, if you read the Bible, you don't actually see miracle every, every chapter. There are... Uh, periods of miracles when God's doing big things. So I don't think the Bible teaches that miracles happen all the time. They tend to come in, in swarms. Uh, the only thing I'd say about the miracle is you couldn't say miracles are impossible unless you could disprove the existence of God. See, if, if there is no God, if there is a God, I should say, then miracles have to be possible. You can't disprove God and therefore, you have to at least philosophically be open to a miracle. But the problem with science is science assumes a natural cause for everything. That's how it does its work. And if it sees something that looks like a miracle, it's never going to declare a miracle. It's going to say the data isn't all it. And so it, it by definition, could never um, see a miracle even if it was there. It, it, it's at, that's its job. So. If there is a God, then there has to be at least the possibility of miracles, so I have to be open to when I read it in the Bible. But how does that make it any more true in the sense of the things that actually did happen, whether Jesus sacrificed himself? Because I'm not sure if there's evidence for that. Well, you're asking about the evidence? Well, um, I think I, let, let me give you a response yeah. and we'll see yeah. what you all think of it. If you go to the, the places in the New Testament where the Bible describes the life of Jesus. That's the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, that's the best place to start and ask the question, did this really happen? Is this true? Did these things happen? And there actually is, I'll, I'll give you a real quick survey of the reasons why there, you can rely on the historicity of those passages. So for example, the Gospels were written not 100 or 200 years after the events. They were written within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written within uh, 30 to 50 years after the events of Jesus' life. And, and Paul's letters were written 15 to 25 years afterwards. And because of that, you can't just make up wholesale fabrications. You know, I'm, uh, 40 years ago I was in college, truth may be told, and I remember college pretty well. So if somebody came along and said, you know, on the uh, on your college campus, this and that happened, and I was there. I would say, no, it didn't. So, uh, 
it, it's 102 years later, when everybody's dead, you can just make things up. Mm -hmm. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written too early just to make things up. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, the eyewitnesses are actually often named in the book. Uh, so, for example, in Mark chapter 15, there's a place where it says Jesus was on his way to the cross, and a guy came and helped him carry the cross. His name was Simon of Cyrene. And then Mark says, Simon of Cyrene is actually the father of Alexander and Rufus, period. Then he goes on, just mentions Alexander and Rufus. And that would be uh, incoherent unless Alexander and Rufus were people that were alive and you could go talk to them. And, and Richard Bauckham, who's this New Testament scholar, says that when you see a name like that in the gospel narrative, it was, the, it was like footnotes today. It was a way for the writer to say, this person's still around and you can go talk to them. So uh, you can't look, I don't think, at the gospel narratives as legends that were written a long time ago. They're written as historical documents. And that's part of an answer to your question of, can you rely on them? When I think about my profession as an attorney, one of the things that, for me at least, signifies like the differences between lawyers and other people is that we're really into words. It's what we do. Whether you write contracts, whether you read a case, whether you argue in front of a court, it's all about precision. And I, I think people who really believe in the Bible believe that like the words are there for a reason, they're constructed that way for a reason, but for me it's like, well the Bible has been translated several times over and you know, there are different parts that were cobbled together and I just can't imagine that it remains as precise and I guess, you know, my training as a lawyer always calls, makes me question the language that I'm reading and the words that, the way they're constructed. Yeah. To me, if there was nothing bigger than myself, like, it seems so pointless. Like, there's so many things I can't explain, so unless I thought there was a bigger system that I couldn't conceive of, I think that would be, like, really depressing. Like, but, but I don't find it is. I mean, I, it's one of the things I, I can believe in, is that there's nothing larger than and that's okay. Yeah, I think you can still have faith that tomorrow will, you know, the sun will come up and then I can be happy. And, and morality. Can, morality, yeah, I think you can. Crazy. Well, the Christian approach to truth is different. Right. So when two people say, well, you have your truth, I have my truth, or you have your morality, I have my morality, Christianity would say, truth is reality. I can't, I can't form it. It's, it's, it's there. So for example, if I've got a, a tree in the middle of the, of the street, uh, truth is that there's a tree in the middle of the street and I better turn my car uh, to the right or the left. Mm -hmm. If I say, well, what, ma what really matters to me is that, you know, I don't want to feel there's a tree there or, you know, that's not meaningful to me, then the tree will kill you because you'll just go right into the tree. Uh, now, I think most people believe that the physical level that some things are true and some things are false. Whereas I think when it comes to the moral and the spiritual, people say well, it's up to you to decide what is right or wrong for you. Christianity says there's more um, cohesion between the physical and the spiritual realm and says that you do need to forgive, you do need to love, and these things are if you, if you hate or if you don't forgive, and you do need God, and if you don't have God, then it's like uh, running into a tree because there's something about your nature that needs these things, and if you don't have it, you, you're out of accord with your nature. So Christian, the Christian approach to truth is, is somewhat different. It's not you have your claim, we have our claim. Because it, does it also have these expectations that you can't live up to? I mean, for example, like, you know, I dated, you know, various 
Stripes Christians in, in high or in college, and you know, I obviously didn't have an affiliation to a faith, and you know, they have these this on. In my opinion, you know, you're in college, you have this on level like the standard that you can't live up to. So I think it also yeah. makes the kids very term. I think it also causes a lot of turmoil for a yeah. lot of children, you know, because their parents put this unrealistic pressure on them to live up to this, you know, this code of ethics, this moral. But it also impedes on their life, like living their life. Touche. It is true that a lot of Christians look at the Bible just as moral truths that we have to live up to. And I know the way I just put it was pretty stark. Like, there it is, it's true, you obey it, or else it's like running into a tree. I know that was pretty hard hat. But part of the truth of the Bible is that, that uh, God forgives, that the whole, the whole reason why Jesus comes into the world is not just to kick, kick you into uh, shape. The reason he comes into the world to die, why is that important? It's to forgive you for your sins so that you're actually saved, not because of what you do, but because of what he's done. Which on the one hand shows that truth is important, but the heart of the truth is that you're not related to God, this is the Christian gospel, by living a good life and by attaining to something, but by recognizing your weakness, your need, your, uh, your frailty, and trusting in him. So. That attitude you're talking about doesn't actually fit with my, my understanding of what the message of the Bible is. I feel like you could find truth in a lot of things. Uh, people find truths in different areas of their lives. I find truth in different things than somebody else might find truth. So I think there's truth to the Bible if you believe that there's truth. I spend a lot more time on the subject wrestling with what is truth. And I found my truth to be that people don't need religion to be moral. What I would say to you is, is it implausible to you that it might not be true? Uh, is, I mean, would all your work, if, you, if someday you had to face the fact that all your work was for nothing, would you be able to do so? So, um, am I open to the possibility that Christianity isn't true? Right, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Um, well, the reasons I believe, so just speaking personally, are both rational and uh, you might say existential. That is, um, there's two reasons why at this point in my life I feel Christianity is true. One is I think about it, I look at the arguments, I think reasonably, and I feel like on the, uh, on the whole the arguments are very strong, and that's my rational side. I could imagine in a group like this uh, having that, uh, you know, some of my arguments that in my head are strong being weakened, yes. Could I be open to you uh, perhaps in here, you're bright people, dismantling some of my arguments, yes. The existential part, that is a sense of God's presence, a powerful sense of God's presence, uh, which came into my life after I first was convinced that probably Christianity was true, then I got into it, then I had these very strong experiences of God's presence. That's not gonna go away very quickly. I'm a composer and I believe in the world of art and art is all prefabricated. Someone made it, and it's true for the moment, it's true for your experience. So for something to be real, it doesn't have to be authenticated in some kind of history. So, um, you know, is it real or is it not? It's more, does it resonate? Does it seem emotionally true? Does it seem spiritually true? Uh, and, and the scientific aspect of whether it's true or false, it doesn't seem relevant to me. Although I'm interested to, to think about why someone who does believe the Bible needs it to be true as well. That I'm interested in. Let me conclude with a, an observation. If you were reading 
uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars, which is a historical document, ancient document, and you had to determine whether or not it actually happened, if it was true, or whether it was legendary, uh, you would be objective because it wouldn't matter to your life whether it was true or not. It doesn't make a difference. However, when you read the Bible, especially if you read the New Testament and you ask, did Jesus really say these things? Did he do these things? Was he raised from the dead? That, of course, if it's true, has a huge impact on your life. And therefore, nobody's really objective. Uh, you can't read something like that knowing its impact and be objective. Now, if, uh, if Eunice someday becomes a judge, if uh, she finds herself uh, having to sit uh, in judgment on a case in which there's a company involved that she is invested in and therefore the case going this way or that way would affect her financially, she's going to recuse herself because she says, I'm not objective. The problem is, when we read the Bible, we can't recuse ourselves. And therefore, instead of uh, just saying, well, I don't want to go there, uh, we have to read it as objectively as possible. We really have to check ourselves. We may want it to be true. We may not want it to be true. But we, as much as possible, have to look at the evidence and study it very carefully. And what that means is, in the end, that if we are skeptical, we should be skeptical of our skepticism. Uh, this was a great time, and I'm really looking forward to the other discussions. Thank you. Okay. So, a lot there. You're all done. Quickly, just anything that especially just knee-jerk first reactions or responses. Yeah, Jana. Tough group. Tough group. Yeah. They that come was. from every different angle and have different reasons. Yeah. It's one thing if you're talking to like a science person or art person, he's got them coming from all angles. But uh, yeah. Okay. What else? Other just quick hits, reactions? Yeah, Hans. Well, when you're talking about truth, Jesus is true. Sure. The way the legend, Yes. All those things. Yep. He didn't go that way. No, nope, he didn't go that way. At least not right away. Yep, that's a good observation. Yeah, Esther. Good eye opener about the way people think out in the world. Yep. We live in a pretty well protected, isolated community. Sure. Yeah, so it, it was a good eye-opener, although I, perhaps you have friends that you could identify with some of those folks in there. People are like, oh, yeah, I know someone like that. Yeah. Any other just quick reactions? Yeah, Bob. Confidence and the contentedness of the atheist. Ah. I don't need it. I'm good. Yep, I'm good. No, nope, I, I actually don't want there to be more meaning to life. Like, right, wow. Okay, there you go. Yeah, Leslie and then George. The fact that he was uh, willing to listen to what they had to uh -huh. say and not turn them right away. Yep. You know, he gave his, his opinions or yep. beliefs. Right. But... He wasn't pushing himself on anything. Right. He didn't say, well, that is patently idiotic. Like, right. He, you know, he, he engaged with them. Yeah, George. Uh, this is basically apologetics. Sure. And uh, that's something that we all need to know more about. Mm -hmm. uh, and apologetics means defending your, your beliefs, your right. faith. Right, right. And it doesn't mean apologizing for Correct, yes, yeah. So often Christians are charged with things 
but no one ever answers yes. the charger. Yep. So I think we need to learn how to do that. Yeah, to be equipped to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Yeah, Laura, say your hand. The diversity in the question, do you believe in something bigger than yourself? Uh -huh. Some of them totally did, not even knowing what it was. Yes. But then the atheist was so comfortable yep. rather than not believing that yep. Yes, which, yeah, that's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, but it, it was interesting, the one guy who maybe fascinates me the most is the one who's like, I do believe that there's something bigger. Oh, you do? Science has gotten me that? Uh, he did not seem to be real clear. And to me, and like, whatever, he's on screen, that's tough. But this is where a lot of folks are. They just have not thought really about these things. And so you press them just a little bit, and they start saying things that are like, what, really? Is that what you believe? Well, I guess I don't really know. Yeah, Ellen. It's depressing. <laughs> it was really depressing. That's right. It can be depressing, yes. I have yes. to scratch that surface with enough people. Yeah, you, get, you don't have to go too far. You start to, yeah, Chip. That's a very smart group of folks. I mean, that, That's true, too. Very much on the intellectual yes. level. I mean, just the words they were using were like, okay, so we're going with, you know, so. Yes. It, it, and that's what Tim Keller specializes in. So sure. He's in New York City, so he's dealing with generally middle upper class folks who right. are highly educated. That's his, his uh, you know, niche there. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that's an important point to make. Yeah, Kim. And I think to tie with that, I loved how he brought up the existential. Yes. Um, the intellect and the existential, and that room was a bunch of intellects. Yes. And, um, you know, in, in, in our faith is about our heart. Yeah. And God wants our heart. And so when he tied that piece to that existential piece, it's like, you really can't um, prove me wrong with what I know with truly in my... In At the my, end of the day, right, because yes. there's that personal side to it. Yeah. And I think it was such an important point that he landed with that nobody is objective with, with these things. No one can recuse yourself from it because the Bible speaks to us deeply. Okay, a couple more. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I just, uh, in my experience, I know it's the evidence. People want evidence right. for our faith. So, and if you actually study, watch some movies, Case for Christ, or whatever sure. it is, uh, Cold Case Christianity, there is a slew, an abundance of right. evidence for our faith. Right. Physical, physical evidence for our faith in Jesus and that he rose from the dead. Well, so this, this brings to me to an important question, I think, that gets raised with what he was saying too, which is, do you think that folks who don't believe that it's more so because of historical aspects of the Bible or more moral and ethical ones? Do you think that they um, don't believe because there's a lack of evidence or because they have, kind of to Kim's point, some personal sort of resistance or aversion to it. Now, there's going to be both and there, but which, do you think there's one that's more so than the other? Yeah, David. Could I add a third? Sure. I think it's ignorance. Okay, ignorance, too. I think the Bible is maybe what we grew up with. Yeah. That is no longer the case. Sure. And so it's just something else that's out there that some kooks like Newton believe in. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't know a fig. So it's like you 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 believe in this, you wear that collar, you right. think this what's wrong with you? You know, I'm a scientist. Yeah. 
or I'm a lawyer. I really think about words precisely. It's ignorance. They've never dealt it, and that's sure. what he was calling attention. Yeah, that's a great point. I've, I've told the story when I was uh, first new pastor in California, and I was really concerned about, you know, what kind of anti-Christianity am I going to encounter? And there was a little bit of that, but more so it was just the ignorance. I remember going to a coffee shop, wearing my collar, and somebody coming up to me and saying, that's kind of a funny shirt. What is, what is that about? <laughs> like, they're totally innocent about it. They're like, I legitimately don't know what that is. Can't, can't assume it. Yeah, Jim and then Kim. I was surprised at the, the topic of uh, life after never came up. Well, and this is just the first one, the first but yeah. But yep. Even in a first session, you know, if, if people are willing to just categorically say they are not believing something that they can't prove, right? are they totally comfortable that there is nothing afterwards? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of an assumption, but you're right. It didn't get pressed, pressed down on. Yeah, Kim. Back to your question, and I like the ignorance piece too, that the three possible reasons. Um, the thing that I think it is both and. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's, it's but um, the personal experience, when, when people are hurt, they hold yeah. that hurt differently. And, and, and so when they have experiences in the church where they've been hurt mm -hmm. or by family members who have claimed to be believers who have hurt them, yeah. um, that is... I think significant to people's experience when they um, when they have the, had that personal hurt. Yes. Um, to turn them away. Yeah. From from, from faith. faith. Yeah. I I in my experience that's undoubtedly the case, and that's not to say that there aren't folks that have legitimate serious evidences and beliefs apart from the ones who just don't know it. But that many times if you just scratch beneath the surface a little bit, and it'll be some kind of really personal hurt that they experience either at the hands of Christians or that they feel like God didn't come through for them in some way, something like that. Yes, Sandy. Yeah, I appreciated the delicate way that he responded because you could easily go for those yeah. revelations and, you know. Right. And what, what I was uh, puzzled by, though, is the woman who was really, uh, words were so important, translation. Yeah, the lawyer. Mm -hmm. And that he didn't talk about the evidence already about, mm -hmm. you know, how many manuscripts and, yes. you know, I mean, we don't have, I mean, Shakespeare can't be proven, right you know, right. for authenticity, you know, as much as the Bible can be, and yeah. that so, kind of stuff, but he probably is going to go there. Well, but, so Sandy raised the point, like, he had a very gentle way of going about it, but sometimes maybe he didn't quite give, lay as much, lay as much of a case out there as he, he could he have. Yeah, skilled. Paul. Kind of looked at this a little different. They kept talking science. Hmm. Well, I grew up in a family of scientists all over the mm -hmm. place who were very strong Christians, mm -hmm. physicists, and what have you, who firmly believed in the Bible. Yeah. And they were strong scientists, too. Yes. Some well, are still here, some are gone. I sure. had a nephew who was not too hot on Christianity or what have you, but he's become very strong Christian, and he's. He's educated beyond my dreams, MIT, and yeah. had his doctorate at 18, and what have you, well, physics, and yeah. chemistry, and astrophysics, and what have you. And these people all believe. So for me, that side of the equation was not an issue. And They believe it. Well, and nor should it be, right? And I actually, this is one thing I appreciate about the conversation among 
among the, the peanut gallery there was that um, they did recognize that science and faith often get put as dichotomous, as oppositions against one, one another. And I hope you guys understand and realize that doesn't have to be the case at all. And the way that the, actually the, the atheist guy defined it, I was writing it down, he said, you know, it, science is a methodology, it's a way of exploring the world. That's spot on. Now, um, I've made this distinction before between science on the one hand, so science is that methodology of just trying to make sense of what exists, right? Make sense of, they might not all say this, scientists, but make sense of God's world, of creation, right? Uh, but what we have, especially emerging over the last couple of centuries, and in particular over the last three decades, I would say, is what um, gets called scientism, okay? This is science as religion. This is, this is where science becomes as a, a kind of religion where um, it's like, no, I only believe in what I can verify scientifically through empirical means. The problem is not science as such. The problem is when science becomes this um, all-encompassing explanation which is easily uh, refuted uh, simply by asking, well, um, Pastor Meyer, can I ask you again, you, you, uh, a couple of months back, you brought up a couple of questions that you shared with your, I think, your confirmation class. Okay, you remember, I assume yeah. you remember what they are. Let's see if I can. Yes. Um, when's time, where did time come from? Where did time when's come from? Where did force? Where did force come from? And when's life? When's life, okay. Where did life come from? So scientism, if you say, oh, well, the only thing that's real is what we can verify. Well, where does existence itself come from? Like, just at the most basic level, why is there something rather than nothing? You say, oh, there's a Big Bang. Okay, cool. Why is there a Big Bang? <laughs> where did that come from? And I've shared with you before, it was actually a, a Jesuit priest who developed that idea of the Big Bang, the theory of the Big Bang, in order to explain more, with, with the more scientific trappings, what basically the scripture says, you know? God said, let there be light. Big bang! <laughs> and there was light. Right? But um, I digress. Okay, other, other hands or, or thoughts? Yeah, Pat and then Janet. I just found myself so grateful through the whole thing and listening to all of them for my parents, my grandparents, mm -hmm. both sides teaching the faith and the importance of raising your children. Because even if a child falls away from the faith, if they've been raised that way, they have that seed of faith yes. and that knowledge to go back to. Yeah. Yeah, just grateful for, again, as David says, there's so many things that nowadays cannot be taken for granted and, and assumed. And so to the extent that we have that, it's, it's a gift. It's a blessing. Yeah, Jim. Going back to the two reasons that you cited in the beginning, I think the word sin has gone out of the modern vocabulary. Okay. And so when there, where there isn't sin, where there isn't a problem of sin, then there isn't going to be a search for a solution of a savior. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think it, in many respects that's true. That's not in our vocabulary. Or it's used more commonly where you see it nowadays, it's in connection with food. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you, you indulge in some decadent brownies. Oh, it's so sinful. It's like, oh, yes, I'm being so transgressive with my brownies. Uh, okay, yeah, David. Well, I found this thing at the dollar store of all places. It's yeah. Stylized cross. Uh -huh. And on one side it says... With God, all things are possible, but it has a swivel on it, 
And on the other side of the cross, it says, if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. Oh, yes. And <laughs> <laughs> I have pictures if you want to see them. Oh, my word. So I'm just wondering. It, I guess it depends on who your guests are for the day. Oh. <laughs> Incredible. Well, this is, I mean, that goes back to who is God, right? Uh, God is a But then it's like, do people maybe don't want to rely on anybody but themselves. Sure. That I want it all to come from me. I mean, that's our sinful human nature very much right. wants to rely on on the cell. Um, I saw a hand, was it? No, I, I was just saying, if he turned it over, it'd say, made in China. Yeah. <laughs> this is true, yeah. Yeah, Sandy, go ahead. But if you press anyone, uh, you know, to be a, even an atheist, whatever they believe in and strive to be, yeah. none of them can live up to it. It doesn't matter if it's not a biblical yes. picture of what they're trying to live up to. Mm. But, you know, if they're religion is exercise or yeah. it's, you know, diet or whatever. And then you say, you know, so what do you do with that? Right. How does that make you feel? Yeah. I mean, where do, how's that working for you? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think that's a, a really helpful question to ask anytime because we've talked about before whether your religion is fitness or work or whatever. How's that working for you? Yeah, Ann. And how would you know if you had attained your goal? And how would you know if you had attained your goal? Yeah. Right. How would you know if you would finally made it? Um, yeah. I, I really appreciated that moment in the conversation where the one gal... <laughs> kind of funny. She dated a bunch of Christians in college. Yeah. <laughs> she seems still bitter about that. Um, but, you know, how he handled that too, where he didn't, again, just, he could have just been like, you doofus. Um, but he's like, okay, that's a, fair, that's a fair critique. But then he used that as an entree to preach the gospel. This, Tim Keller understands law and gospel, like we talk about in, in Lutheranism, of this sense like, yes, there's God's word of command, but there's also God's word of, of grace and gift. We don't want to mix those up because we'll, we're acceptable to God by means of, of the gift of Jesus. Yeah. Tim Keller, in the introduction to this book, I have it on audio, yeah. he, he was catechized as a Lutheran. He was. Yeah. We lost him. Well, well there's, there's still hope for him. He was, well, sent. he was sent. He was sent. He was sent. <laughs> he was that. Uh, but that, and that was important too because, again, it remem- reminds us that in these conversations, the goal is not to be right. The goal is not to be right. And sometimes you can be right and be dead wrong. Uh, our goal is to winsomely, lovingly be able to engage with people, have conversations with them about the faith. And when the time is right, to, to be able to lay out, lay out the truth. Yeah, Melody and then Mike. I have a um, friend, an old friend, who has very close friend who he's atheist, does not believe and so Randy was, they've had many conversations between each other and finally, and this is very simplistic but I liked it Randy said to his friend well, you know if you're right if I'm, if I'm right you. Yes, right. <laughs> well, and this is, I mean, there's a, a philosophical name for this. This is called Pascal's Wager. Uh, Blaise Pascal, a Christian, who, who said very simply, um, basically, I've got um, nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yes. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Now, that's not hopefully why somebody ultimately believes. It's not going to lead to a, a flourishing, uh, mature Christian life. But 
it's a good question to get people to think, yeah. to get the wheels going. Yeah, Mike. I was going to say, I like what Tim Keller does as far as he, he knows how to defend the faith, but for us, what I find, he, he takes the pressure off. Yeah. We, don't, we are not in charge of converting someone. That's Correct. Yeah. We are there to guide them and lead yep. them in a certain way, but it is ultimately God's job to change their lives. Exactly. We can't do it. We can't change. It's his mission, and he invites us and allows us to be, to be a part of it. So um, it's a gift. It's a wonderful opportunity to be sent ones of the Father. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, there was interesting when the gal came back and said, are you ever skeptical of your own faith, or what if it was mm-hmm. false in all the work you've done? She was catching on to his methodology, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. He's a genius at positing questions mm-hmm. out of their each individual worldviews. Right. Have you thought about this? Yeah. Which is almost the only way to do apologetics now because the whole thing started with what's truth. Yeah. And there's a million different so it's true for me. So the only way to challenge that is, well, you're wrong because the Bible's right. That's, right. that's the old way of doing it. Now is, have you thought about this? So they're being asked to challenge their own truth within their own truth. Yes. That's, that's so essential in contemporary apologetics. Yes. And it's not possible without empathy and humility gotta listen. and listening. Yep, listening. Incidentally, next week, uh, Pastor Newton is going to be leading this as I'm, I'm away, so we'll continue the, the conversation with that. And I hope that you've um, enjoyed this and been edified by it. One um, resource that I would point you to if this particular topic is one you want to explore more about the um, historical aspects of the Bible and its reliability, a really nice documentary came out five years or so ago called Fragments of Truth. And um, I just checked this morning. You can view the whole thing on YouTube, an hour-long documentary. gives you really good um, basis for um, just the reliability of, of the scriptures. Um, but obviously, this is, continues to be a big one for a lot of people. And just by having these conversations, you're better equipped um, to, to talk about it with your friends and neighbors and family and other folks along the way. So thank you for being here. And uh, God be with you as you are sent out into the community. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Bible, and I think it be on the Michigan okay. Okay, cool. Michigan District, look for Jeff Close. Um, he's now the chief curatorial officer at the Museum of the Bible. So he's the guy in charge of getting stuff. So very cool. All right. Thank you, guys. God be with you.